Jesus, we love you. God, you are great and greatly to be praised. There is no one like you in heaven or in earth. There is no one who can do what you do. There is no one who has done the things that you have done. There is no one who deserves the glory you deserve. God, you and only you. We worship you in this place. We lift up our hearts with praise, with expectation. We serve a God who lives. We serve a God who loves. We serve a God who gives. know if you like things loud or not but let me tell you things are going to be a lot louder than this one day when we're standing in front of the throne of God shouting praises to the king of kings things are going to be a little bit louder than this expectations are going to be a little bit brighter than this excitement is going to be on another level than this it's gonna be a wonderful glorious day the day I stand before my God and get to look him in the face and be completely satisfied for the first time in my life God we worship you we worship you we worship you Jesus hmm God, to know you is to love you. God, we're not just satisfied with knowing about you. We want to know you. We want to know you, Jesus. God, just to experience your presence. One day in your courts is better than a thousand days anywhere else. One moment in your presence, God, is worth more than all the gold and silver in the world. Lord, we could never have enough. We could never bring enough to buy one moment in your presence, but you've given it so freely so lovingly, so extravagantly. And we're just in awe of you, God. (laughs) We are in awe of you. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Come on, if you would, just for the next 25 seconds, just give God some worship from your heart this morning. Make it personal. You don't need someone telling you what to say. Just bring God some glory in this place. Come on, church.
would you just, if you're able, just give someone next to you a hug? Just share the love of God for just a moment? Come on. Amen. And you may be seated. Man, I enjoy his presence. I enjoy his presence. It's not a burden to me to be in the presence of God. It's a joy. It's, it's exhilarating. I love it. Mm. I want to, as we get ready to turn our attention to the word of God, I want to first honor our pastors, Brother Billy and Sister Peggy. Thank you so much for all you do for the family of God, and especially here at Calvary Tabernacle. We love you. We're praying for you. We know it's a... a, a uh, a day that's not easy for you, but being in the presence of God with his people is the most wonderful place we could be, and so we want to honor you for being here today as we remember your brother, sister Peggy. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, it's uh, Matthew's account of Jesus' most famous sermon. We're going to spend most of our time there. We'll get there here in just a few minutes, not right off the bat, but we'll be uh, kind of all over the word <laughs> this morning as we get started. Um, but if you want to just turn somewhere, Matthew chapter 5 would be a great place to, uh, to start. We've got a lot of, I got a lot of scripture I want to share with you today because I really like this book a lot, <laughs> a lot. Uh, so we're going to be all in it today. Um, so you, we're, we're going to put the scripture up on the screen so that if you don't want to just flip everywhere, you don't have to. Uh, but also we've got on your phones, if you've got the Bible app, you can go into the version and uh, look up more and then events within that app, and it'll pull up Calvary Tabernacle. You can click on that, and it'll give you all the scripture that we're going to be uh, reading today, and it has even a few sermon notes in there and a place where you can type your own notes. Uh, so we encourage you. Uh, what, what's the saying? Uh, History makers or note takers or something like that. Note takers or history makers, something like that. Uh, so if you want to make history, apparently just take some notes. It's a pretty easy thing to do. Uh, come on. All right. Uh, speaking of history, on November 1st of 2023, uh, some pretty significant history was made. Um, at least it was very significant for me. Uh, in fact, the Dallas Morning News ran a full front page announcement of the history that was made, and I've, I've got it right here to show you, because I went to Dallas the, next, the following day, and uh, in case you hadn't heard, uh, the Texas Rangers won the World Series. It's a pretty big deal for me. You may be like, I don't care anything about baseball. I've been a Rangers fan from the moment that I was born. Uh, my dad was a Rangers fan. I've got several grandparents who are Rangers fan. Uh, one, one of my grandfathers was a coach, and so he was big into sports. And, and so it just runs in the family. Uh, so I, I've been growing up watching the Rangers. We would go to at least one game a year. And uh, we just enjoyed having that opportunity to, to spend as a family. My brothers and I, we still enjoy it and go to games every now and then. And, and uh, now we've 
pass that love of baseball down to my oldest son, Jack, and he's all about baseball right now, and it's a, it's a fun thing. It's a fun thing for us to share in our family, uh, but the reason why this was so special was because all my life growing up, being a fan, I've never got to experience a World Series. Watched all these other teams all these other years win the World Series thinking, well, maybe one day, maybe one day it'll happen for the Rangers. And in 2010, the Rangers went to their first World Series in their franchise history. The first one, 2010, they lost miserably. Uh, Heartbreaker for me. Uh, They went back again the next year in 2011 and uh, played the Cardinals. And almost, almost, almost won. They lost it in game seven. They were one strike away from winning it in game six. And I just remember that was such a devastating moment in my life. Not on a real literal level, but in my my sports life, I guess. Um, And so I just remember after 2011 being so close and the Rangers losing, I just remember thinking, and if you're a Rangers fan, I know Rusty's a Rangers fan. If if you're a Rangers fan, after 2011, you're like, I guess it's just never going to happen. My expectations were just so low after such a crushing, crushing defeat in 2011. Well, this last year they had an incredible season. They snuck into the playoffs. Uh, they, they won 90 games. If they had have won 89, they wouldn't have made it to the playoffs. But they won 90 games, just enough to make it into the playoffs. And then from there, went on a winning streak, won 11 games on the road in a row. It's incredible. It's never been done in the history. And, uh, and I was so excited the night that they won the World Series. And as I was watching on TV, they, they hoisted a trophy. It's called the Commissioner's Trophy. It's the one trophy that is given that year to the team that wins it all. The World Series Trophy. The Commissioner's Trophy is what they call it. And I remember seeing them lift up that trophy, and I'm thinking, oh, right, this is it. We did it. This is incredible. And, and I'm excited, and I'm on my phone looking up all of the sports websites, trying to read anything that they will post about my beloved Texas Rangers. And, and I, I just really enjoyed this moment. But as a believer, I also recognized that this trophy right here is a very temporary thing. Because come March 28th of this year, the Texas Rangers and all the other 29 teams in Major League Baseball will start playing baseball again. And they will go through another 162-game season, not 162 games total. Every team plays 162 games to get to the playoffs, and then they have to play through the playoffs to get to the World Series chasing one trophy. One trophy. And if you are not a sports fan, you're probably thinking, that sounds absolutely ridiculous. Anybody in here, that, that's you right now, that sounds absolutely stupid to go through all that effort, all of that work, to put forth all of that money. There's no telling how much the Rangers paid their players and staff and everything to, to get to that place. All of that work, all that effort for a trophy that one day will deteriorate. One day. Paul says it like this, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 
He says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs? By the way, Paul must have been a sports fan because he uses a lot of sports analogy in his teaching. Just throwing that out there. This is one of them. He says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. But listen what he says. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. These prizes right here one day will fade away. This trophy is made of sterling silver and gold-plated gold parts of it are gold-plated. One day it will deteriorate. But we here, the church, the believers, the sons and daughters of God, we run a race and we need to run it well because we're not just chasing a crown that will deteriorate, a prize that will fade away, but we are chasing an eternal reward. Someone say eternal. Come on. Today I want to talk about this idea of chasing what's eternal, chasing what's eternal. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says this. says, it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists. Let's pause right there real quick. If you want to come to God, you must believe that God exists exists. But he doesn't stop right there. You must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. He is a rewarder. If you want to come to God, you need to understand this, that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Come on. Now, I want to talk about spiritual eternal rewards today. But I want to take just a moment. Uh, well, you know, I, I, I'll get to that. I'll get to that. Uh, if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, God is my rewarder. God is my rewarder. There's something that we need to understand about eternal rewards. They come from only one place, and that is our Heavenly Father. God is our rewarder. If you want to come to God, you must believe that he exists and that he rewards. He is our rewarder. James chapter 1 verse 17 says it like this. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming from where? Coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. We need to understand that every gift we have comes from God. And I want to distinguish this by saying salvation is a gift, but it is not the only gift that God gives. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He gives good gifts Salvation, obviously, the most wonderful one <laughs> that I can think of, but that's not the only one that he gives. Listen to me, church. Anything good that you have came from God. Anything good that you have 
came as a gift from God. And I think the sooner we recognize that and give God the credit for that, the happier we will be in life the more satisfied we will be with our work and with our decisions and with the things we put our hands to. If we realize that it didn't come from us, it comes from God. It didn't come from another person. Every good gift we have comes from God. Let me tell you what, we, we got to understand that. Can I brag on you for a little bit, church? I want to brag on you for just a moment. Uh, Emily and I, we've been serving here at Calvary uh, for 11 or 12 years. And um, Throughout these years, uh, you have been so wonderful to share what God has given you, God has given to you. You've been so wonderful to share that with us. And so there have been some times where someone would come and, and, you know, hand us an envelope and say, hey, you know, God told me to give this to you. Or someone would bless us with something in our home. Uh, Whenever I fractured my back and was going through a terrible time, the ushers of the church got together and bought a recliner. They bought a recliner for my home because I could not get in and out of my bed. Like, I'm talking about a church who has given so selflessly and so generously. And the one thing that, that you have always done whenever it comes to the gifts that you have given to myself and my wife, one thing that is always repeated over and over and over is, this is something God told us to give you. Or you would say something like, this isn't from me. This isn't from us. This is from the Lord. And church, I, I, I don't know if there's anything more beautiful that a, that a believer could do than to give what God has given you. And instead of trying to take any credit, you reflect the glory back onto God. It might have come from your hand, but what you were saying is this. It, 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 it came from my hand, but it did not come from my abilities. It did not come from my wisdom. It did not come from my work. It came from the Lord. It's a gift he gave me, so it doesn't really belong to me anyway. It's just coming through me. We need to understand that God is our rewarder. And I want to brag on you because you get it. You know it. You do that. You live that. And myself and my wife, we're, we're attempting, trying to do that in our lives too. Say, hey, God, whatever you ask us to give, we're going to give it because it's not ours anyway. It didn't belong to us in the first place. It came from your hand. Come on. Matthew chapter 5, if you have there by now, surely. Matthew chapter 5, starting in 3. This is... Jesus' opening to his sermon says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. Someone help me out on these next two words. God blesses, I don't know if you've caught that pattern yet. I've been trying to emphasize it. Those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. 
God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. God blesses. I think Jesus is trying to tell us something with the first portion of his sermon, the the most famous of his sermons that we recognize, is that God is our rewarder. God is the one from whom our blessings come. God is the one that gets the credit. God is the one that gets the glory. And I think one other thing that we need to understand about this is that I am not my rewarder. I've, I've known people who are very proud of the life they've built and very proud of the things they own and very proud of the possessions they've accumulated. And they say, I started from nothing. I built this. I got myself here. I didn't have any help from nobody. Can I lovingly say this to you? Please don't let that be your mentality. God blesses. Every good gift we have comes from our rewarder. God blesses. Mm. I think here's the second thing I I think we need to understand about whenever it comes to eternal rewards is this. We need to invest with faith. So in this earthly life, if you're the Texas Rangers, you're going to invest with money and a lot of it. They paid pitchers an insane amount of money to get them into a position where they could go into the playoffs. And these pitchers are the elite of the world, the very best of the best. And they pitched lights out. They did a phenomenal job in the playoffs. So proud of the Texas Rangers pitching rotation. But here's the thing. The Rangers paid for it. They paid for it dearly. We're talking about some of these players are making upwards of three hundred million dollars over the course of six or seven years. One pitcher, and he can only pitch once every five days. So you can imagine all that's going just into their pitching staff. The Rangers spent half a billion dollars in one season on their shortstop and second baseman. Half a billion dollars. Now, the shortstop ended up being the World Series MVP. He's an elite player, but the Rangers had to pay dearly for that type of success to come to the Arlington, Texas area. Now, if we are going to invest in eternal things, can I just lovingly say this to you? You cannot do that with your money. You cannot invest in what's eternal with monetary value. If you want to invest in eternal rewards, you have to invest with faith. Listen to me. Faith is the currency of heaven. 
Go ahead and jot that down real quick. We need to remember that. Faith is the currency of heaven. Whenever Abram, uh, God told Abram to, to move, to leave his homeland and to move to a place that he would show him. God told him, leave. He didn't even tell him where he was supposed to go. He just said, just not right here, just leave. Just go somewhere else. And Abram agreed. He said, okay, I will do it. And he leaves not knowing where he's going. And as he's wandering around, God comes to him, or God sends an angel to come to him and tell him this, Abram, you're going to have a son. And Abraham's thinking, I'm pretty old. You might have got the wrong Abram. I'm not sure. (laughs) His wife was well advanced in years, experienced. Abram and Sarah, they're thinking, "How, how is he going to do this with us? But my Bible tells me in Genesis chapter 15 that Abram believed God. And the very next portion of scripture says, and God counted it to him as righteousness. Abram believed God. He had faith in God. And God's exchange for that faith was righteousness. Listen, church, this is the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You cannot work or earn your salvation. You cannot buy it. You cannot do enough duties or jobs or or favors to earn it. Salvation comes only one way, and that is by faith. Faith is the currency of heaven. Whenever I went to Asia, uh, we had to, um, I went with a, a group of people from my Bible college. There was 23 of us, and we went there to share the word of God in, in several of the Buddhist uh, schools there in Thailand and, and in Malaysia. And and uh, we went to smuggle some Bibles into a communist country, and, and we did several other things there while we were there. But it, it was a, a month and a half long operation that we were a part of, and we had to raise a lot of money to be able to do that and to be able to buy these Bibles and, and get plane tickets and all the stuff that we had to do to, to make all of this work. So we had to raise a lot of money, and then we had to take this money with us. And I, I, I imagine there are better ways to do it now. But in 2011, whenever we went, the best way to do it was to carry cash. And then whenever you enter into one of the countries, you have to go to a bank and exchange your American dollars for that country's currency. So what you do is, is, and there's a a rate that the governments go by, that right now the one American dollar is worth so many rupees in Indonesia, and and, uh, every day it kind of fluctuates and changes based on the strength of the American dollar and the strength of the other country's currency as well. But what you are doing is essentially you're taking your currency, which has value in your country, and you are exchanging it with another government for some of their currency. It's an exchange that takes place. This dollar equals this many rupias. And you take your dollars and you exchange them and they give you rupias for it. This is what this is the idea that God gives us in 
Genesis where it says that Abram had faith and God counted it. God exchanged it for righteousness. What you do will not earn you righteousness. Only your faith can earn you righteousness. And whenever it comes to investing in things that are eternal, you cannot exchange temporary money for eternal rewards. You can only exchange eternal things for eternal things. We must learn to invest with faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, we've already read it. What does it say? It says, it is impossible to please God without... Y'all help me out, church. I'm a youth pastor. I'm used to... You guys are so wonderful. You just sit here so quietly. And the youth, I end up 40 times each service. I'm like, hey, listen, pay attention. Put that down. Get off TikTok. Like, right up here, right up here. Stop talking, you know. So you guys are going to have to be a little bit louder because I just can't deal with the quiet. It says, it is impossible to please God without without faith. You cannot. Listen, the writer of Hebrews doesn't say that it's difficult to please God without faith. He says, it is completely impossible. You can't trade what is temporary for what is eternal. It doesn't work that way. Ooh, come on. And I want you to notice this too. I, I want to be very specific on this. Salvation is not works-based. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, listen, it says, God saved you by his grace when you believed, when you had faith, and you cannot take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Verse 9 says this, very plainly in my Bible, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, it says, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. What Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus is this, whatever you think you can do to earn it, go ahead and get that out of your mind because it's impossible to do that. The only way to receive salvation, salvation is an eternal reward, but it's not a reward for what you've done. It's a reward for the faith that you've given, faith that you've given to God. But salvation is not the only reward. You remember, if we're going to come to God, we need to believe that God exists and also that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Look what Revelation chapter 22 verse 12 says. These are Jesus's words. Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their what? Deeds. Deeds. Right here he doesn't say according to their faith. He says according to their deeds. So we understand that there are eternal rewards that are not just salvation. It's about to get good. Are you ready for this, church? You can invest in eternal rewards while you are right here. And I think so many of us, we are so focused on what's right in front of our face that we forget that we have the ability to invest in eternal things right now. Not just talking about salvation. Listen, I don't know what all eternal rewards God has prepared for us. He doesn't tell us all of them. We get to see some of these benefits while we're here on earth. Absolutely. 
But I can't imagine what's going to happen one day when we all go stand in front of Jesus and we give an account for all of the things we have done. Right? <laughs> Come on. In uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says that you must believe God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. This word rewards comes from the Greek word. Let me see if I can say this. Miss, miss the potos. Go ahead and look at your neighbor and say, miss the potos. <laughs> there you go. It's a word that we've translated into English as reward or rewards, rewarding. He rewards, he missed the potos, us. This word rewards means to pay someone a wage. So if you are working for a company, your company missed the potos you at the end of the month, hopefully. Hopefully, right? Hopefully you get that check. If you don't, you're going to go and tell them, hey, you forgot to miss the photo me this month, right? <laughs> There's a reward that's expected here for my labor, for my work. And listen, the Bible tells us that God missed the photo us. He rewards us. He pays us. It's the same idea as, as he is our remunerator. In other words, we've given something and he returns it with something else. I don't know if y'all are getting this or not. Are you getting it? Are you getting it? But here's the thing. Most of us think that we can um, give $100 to a homeless person. Or we can put something in the, the tithes and offerings at church and God will miss the photo us for that. <laughs> He will reward us for that. And listen, maybe so. Maybe so. I'm not saying he doesn't. But what I am saying is this. God rewards us for our faith. And faith without works is dead. So let me put it to you this way. If you are to write on the, the back walls of this church, there are several boxes. Those are offering boxes right there. And if you bring your tithes and offerings to the church, you put them in that box, that's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's going, every single penny of it is going to advance the kingdom of God. But if you just drop a check in that box, thinking, okay, I'm, I'm going to put $50 in here. God, I want you to give me $500 back. You've missed the whole point. <laughs> You've missed it entirely. That back there is not a bargaining chip to get what you want from God. He rewards our faith. If you're going to invest in eternal rewards, you have to invest with an eternal currency, faith. Now, you can take that same $50 and give it, as Paul says in, uh, what does he say, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 6, he's, he's talking to the church in Corinth. He says this, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. And we see that and we're like, okay, God, I'm going to give more and you're going to give me more money back. And Paul is saying this though, you must decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly. 
don't give in response to pressure. Now, I don't know how many churches you've been to where they took up an offering and the pastor was like, hey, listen, don't give anything today. We're going to take up an offering. Don't give anything today. <laughs> but Paul is saying this, listen, if you are giving just money, expecting God to remunerate, to miss the pot out, you with more money, don't give. That's not what we're doing here. But what does he go on to say? He says this, For God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have, pl- then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. So what is Paul saying here? It's not about the amount of money that you give. It's about the amount of faith you have when you give it. See, what God tells us, it's, it's a biblical command to tithe. We are supposed to give God 10% of everything. 10%. Now, my 10% is going to be a little bit different from your 10%. You might make more money than me. You might make less money than me. You might say, hey, I haven't made anything in three months. You might say, hey, listen, I had the the best year I've ever had. That 10% is going to fluctuate from year to year, and it's going to fluctuate from person to person. Listen, the reason why God tells us to give 10% is not because he's like, hey, listen, if everyone gave 10%, I'd be rich. He already owns it all. We already discussed this. It all came from him in the first place. All we are doing is we're giving it back to him. So why does he command us to do this? I believe he commands us to do this because it is a test of our faith. He's saying this, will you believe me that I can do more with 90% than you can do with 100? So whenever we give, we shouldn't give reluctantly. We shouldn't give in response to pressure. I'm not trying to pressure you today. If you feel pressured to give, don't give today. What I'm saying is this, when we give, if we are going to invest in eternal rewards, when we give, whatever we give, we've got to give it with faith. It's the currency of heaven. Here's the last thing I think we should understand about investing in eternal rewards is number three, we should work for a heavenly reward. We should work for a heavenly reward. I think the reason why it's so important for us to remember that everything comes from the Lord is because whenever you whenever you invest with your time or your money or your resources or your emotions or whatever you invest with, if you don't see fruit from that labor, it is very easy to become discouraged. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go to work for free. <laughs> I want to be rewarded for my efforts. If you say, oh, no, it doesn't matter to me, you're lying. <laughs> First of all, let's just clear that up real quick. <laughs> it's natural. I think especially here in the Western world, it's natural. I, I think we have this tendency that we expect that if we aren't rewarded, then something's about to go down. 
It's not about to be pretty in here. If you don't recognize me for what I've done, I'm going to get offended. So many of us, we, we will do things. We will serve the Lord. We will, we will volunteer in the church. We will help our neighbors. We will do these wonderful things. And at the end of the day, it's probably because we're expecting something back. We're expecting something in return. And listen, God is a rewarder. That's a promise. You will be rewarded. But I think our problem is a lot of times is we work and we will diligently serve God and we expect that reward to come right here, right now. Can I ask you a question? If every single good deed that you performed, if every single kind word that you spoke, if every single significant sacrifice that you made went unnoticed in this life, would you still do it? I think this is what God is saying to us right here. We expect our reward to be right here, this side of heaven. What God is saying is this, I am a rewarder and my reward is great. But we may have to wait for it, church. We may have to wait for it. You might give an offering every single week at church and and see your bank account go down and you start to think, well, apparently God's not in this. Let me tell you, he is. He's in it. We've got to shift our focus from right here, right now to God, I don't know when, I don't know where, I don't know how, I don't even know if it's within this life, but I trust you for my reward. Come on. What if I told you that even Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, he questioned You might say, wait, wait a second, hold on, Pastor Sam. We're talking about the Son of God. Are you telling me that Jesus had to count the cost? Yes, he did. Look at this, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. The writer of Hebrews saying, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, He endured the cross. This tells me that Jesus looked at the cross and said, I don't want to do it, but I know that the joy in front of me is going to be so worth it. It wasn't here. It wasn't right now. It was down the road. But Jesus looked at the cross and said, I don't want to, but I will. I will do it because I trust my Father for my reward. I'm looking for a heavenly reward. I might not see the reward on this side of earth, and I would be so bold as to say Jesus did not see his reward on this side of his ministry on earth, but the reward is still being reaped now today, and it will continue to be reaped as long as people continue to be born Come on. Mm. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 3. If you have your Bible, turn right there with me real quick. This absolutely wrecked me this week. 
Isaiah chapter 49. We'll start in verse 3. It says this. He said to me, you are my servant Israel, and you will bring me glory. I replied, but my work seems so useless. I have spent my strength for nothing and to no purpose. Yet I leave it all in the Lord's hand. I will trust God for my reward. What if I was to tell you this is Jesus' thoughts. I want you to, this, this is some homework for you. You can do that this week. Read that entire chapter, Isaiah 49. It is messianic scripture. It is scripture that prophesies of the Messiah. You say, well, Pastor Sam, it says, uh, he said to me, you are my servant Israel. Uh, just in case you didn't know, Israel or Jacob had already passed away. Right, And you can say, well, this, this represents God's people then. Well, in a way, God's people could bring God glory. But if you read the rest of the chapter, there are things that this Israel does that Israel didn't really do or would really do because it's only something that God himself could fulfill. These prophecies are something that only Jesus could fulfill. And it tells us that this is what he said. I replied, but my work seems so useless. I've spent my strength for nothing and to no purpose. Can you imagine Jesus hanging on the cross thinking, what is this for? Why am I here? Father, are you sure? This was the only, can you remember when he was in the garden? What did he pray? Father, take this cup away from me. Why? Because Jesus is counting the cost and he's saying, I don't know if it's worth it. Because in this life, with physical eyes, it doesn't look like things are adding up. But notice what it says here at the end of verse 4. He says, yet I leave it all in the Lord's hands. What did Jesus say? Yet not my will, but your will. I leave it all in the Lord's hands. I can't see it from right here in this perspective, but I leave it all in the Lord's hands. He says, I will trust God for my reward. Mm. I don't know if that just wrecked you like it wrecked me, but Jesus apparently, at least at some point, at the very minimum, was tempted to be discouraged. At the very minimum, he's tempted to be discouraged about what he was going to do. But he left us the greatest example. It doesn't look like it's going to work out. It doesn't look like the numbers add up. It doesn't look like this is going to work. But God, I leave it in your hands, and I look to you for my reward. I don't look to Peter or James or John. I don't look to my mother Mary for my reward. I look to you for my reward. 
And I may not see it right here on this side, but I know my reward is in heaven. My reward is with my God. Come on. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. It's, uh, this chapter is called uh, the Hall of Faith. The Hall of Faith. It talks about lots of men and women of God who, who had extreme, extreme faith in God. And it says this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. 13, it says, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. This next part hurts my heart a little bit. (laughs) They did not receive what was promised. They didn't see it. But they saw it all, or they did not receive it, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. That needs to be our mentality as well, church. God, I will invest in your kingdom, whatever you ask me to do, even if it doesn't add up, even if it doesn't seem like it's going to make sense, even if it's hard to do, even if everything inside of me is screaming, don't do it! I'm still going to do it. I put it in your hands, and I trust you, my God, for my reward. Come on, church. A little bit further down in Hebrews 11, verse 24 It says, it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking ahead to his great reward. Our God is a rewarder, church. He is a rewarder. Come on. Last week was what we call Bible Mission Sunday. is the first Sunday of the month, first Sunday of the year. And we, we usually take that Sunday to kind of update everybody on what we're doing here whenever it comes to Bible missions. And, and I want to do that really quick because I think that this will just tie in really nicely to what we're talking about today. Um, but in May of 2022, God gave Brother Billy the vision to help others be able to have one of these. <laughs> gave him the vision that as a church, we could come together and try to see to it that every single believer, every single person who claims to be a Christian, could have access to one of these. Here in America, that's super easy. We've already got it. If you want access to it, you don't even have to buy it. You can download the app on your phone and you've got it right there. But in other parts of the world, that's not the case. In fact, there are 76 countries in the world where the Bible is banned or confiscated or considered illegal propaganda. 76 different countries. And we have brothers and sisters of Christ that are in these countries right now investing in the kingdom of God and they don't even have the resources that we have so that each one of them can have one of these. I don't know about you. I've probably got 30 of these. Literally. (laughs) 
And there are entire congregations that are hiding underground in countries all over the world where they might have part of the Bible. And they will tear the pages out and tear them into pieces and share portions of Scripture amongst the families in that congregation. And they will meet up in secret and exchange little fragments of paper that have the Word of God written on them. And I love, I'm so thankful that God gave Brother Billy the vision to say, hey, this is something that we can do here in Little Old East, Texas. We can see to it that we can make sure as the best we can, make sure that every believer in the world can have access to one of these. And so what we did is we're partnering up with two different organizations, Voice of the Martyrs, as well as Version, who has the Bible app on your phone. Uh, Voice of the Martyrs, they have a, a mission called a Bible for Every Believer where their whole thing is they are printing Bibles and giving them to their people who then smuggle it across the borders of these countries where it's illegal to have them. And people are, I read a story just this morning, people are getting these Bibles and they are wrapping them in waterproof materials and burying them in their gardens so that if the police show up to their house, they won't find them. But they can go to their backyard with a shovel and dig up a Bible and read it in secret to only then close it, wrap it back up, and bury it again. And they do this because the police, why would they look in the dirt in the garden? The garden's always going to have dirt, and you're always pulling weeds and picking plants and replanting stuff. Like that. To me, I'm like, that's genius. That's absolutely genius. So whenever it comes to investing, I think this is one of the greatest things that we could invest in is helping our brothers and sisters have access to this word because they are doing ministry in places that you and I are not allowed to go. And so what we've done uh, uh, just this or since we started in May of uh, 2022, we've helped fund the smuggling of over 2,000 Bibles into these restricted nations. Over 2,000 Bibles. I don't know if you knew it or not, but there are hundreds, thousands of languages that are being used today in the world that we live on where they do not have any scripture translated into their language yet. Y'all, it's 2024, and there are still entire groups of people who speak languages that have never had the Bible translated into these languages. And so that's what uh, version is doing. They've gotten, they have uh, teamed up with uh, several of our world's leading Bible publishers to start a project getting translators to translate the Word of God into these languages and what they are doing is they are translating portions of the Bible at a time and giving it to them as soon as they get done with it. Like they, they're not even finishing the entire Bible before they will start handing it off to these people because they're like, hey, if we can just get a little bit to them right now, that's better than nothing. So they, they start with popular portions of Scripture like the book of John and, and the book of Psalms and several others, and they will, they will translate these and give them away. And what we have done 
is uh, we've joined up with them to translate scripture. It costs about $35 to translate one verse of scripture into one language because of all the work that has to go in with uh, someone getting into that country, learning the language, the work of translating, and then publishing or printing it or whatever they've got to do uh, to have that done. And so what we've done here since May 2022 is we have helped translate 339 verses of Scripture into a language that has never had the Word of God before. We've been reading a lot from the book of Hebrews today. That's more Scripture than the entire book of Hebrews. Come on. I wanted to thank you, church, for doing that. Listen, this is what we're talking about in eternal rewards. Like you can give your money, but here, here's the thing about it. When you give to a mission like this, you will not see the reward. Every time you give to our Bible's mission, you will never see the reward. I doubt it. I mean, maybe, maybe. But I doubt you will ever go to a country and they're like, hey, listen, we didn't have any Bibles, and Voice of the Martyrs came in, and they brought Bibles, and you're probably not going to meet any of those people ever. You're probably not ever going to go to a country that speaks one of the languages where the Bible has not been translated into them. Whenever you give to these, to these Bibles missions, it is a gift of faith. It is saying, I will never see the reward on this side, but I trust with what I give that I trust it into God's hands. I trust God for my reward. One day I will see the reward in heaven when we see souls coming into the, oh, come on, church. Come on. We're talking about eternal rewards here. Amen. I want to share this last portion of scripture with you. I got so much more that I want to share, but I don't have time. Oh, it's so good. I want to share this last portion, though. Whenever it comes to our eternal reward, David says this in Psalms chapter 17, verse 14. <clears throat> By the power of your hand, O Lord, destroy those who look to this world for their reward but satisfy the hunger of your treasured ones. May their children have plenty, leaving an inheritance for their descendants. Look what he says in the next verse. Because I am righteous. Where does righteousness come from? Where's the exchange? What's the exchange? Faith is exchanged for righteousness. This is what David says, because I am righteous or because I have trusted you and you have seen me as righteous. He says this, I will see you. When I awake, I will see you face to face and be satisfied. This is what David is saying. When I pass from this life, when I go to sleep for the last time in this body, and I open my eyes again in eternity, and when I see you for the first time face to face, I will be completely satisfied. For the first time in my life, I will need nothing. I will want nothing. Every part of my existence will be completely, totally satisfied with seeing your face. We're talking about an eternal reward here. Can I tell you this? I don't know what kind of rewards God has planned for us in eternity, but I can't think of one reward better than his face. 
seeing him waking up in eternity for the first time and thinking, I, this is all I could have ever dreamed of. This is more than I could have ever wanted. This is more than I could have ever had a desire for. I am completely satisfied. Church, you will never be completely satisfied in this life. There are people that, who we would consider to be the most successful people on earth. And even whenever I say that, you're automatically thinking of people that have lots of money. We equate money with success. And there are people that have all of the riches of the world and deal with depression and suicide. Because nothing in life will ever satisfy you. They did a poll uh, this last year, and they asked uh, Americans, they, they said, how much money would you need to make in a year to feel financially comfortable? And those who made less than $50,000 a year, they said that they would need $184,000 on average. They said $184,000 in order to feel financially comfortable. And the people that were making between fifty and 80000 they said they would need $208,000 to feel financially comfortable. Those who made between eighty dollars and $100,000 said they would need $246,000 to feel financially comfortable. And those making more than 100000 said they would need $341,000 to feel financially comfortable. Are you getting the, the drift here? In this world, the more we have, the more we're going to think that we need. We've got to change our mentality and say, God, I'm not looking for my reward right here. I'm looking for my reward with you. My reward is not bound up in this life. My reward is bound up in who you are. And one day when I see you face to face, that's all I will ever need. So can I encourage you as we close this week, invest in the kingdom of God. We spend a lot of time thinking about our earthly investments. Emily and I right now are, are in the process of buying a home. And we're thinking a lot about the long-term process of, of purchasing a new home. It's a long process, a lot of money. We spend a lot of time every day thinking about and considering and doing all the things we've got to do to do this. What if we spent that same amount of energy and focus and determination in investing in eternal things? This is what I want to encourage you to do this week is not just think, oh, yeah, I need to invest in the kingdom of God. I want you this week to plan a gift, whether it's for your neighbor, whether it's for your spouse, whether it's for the school system, wherever you can think of, whatever the Holy Spirit puts on your heart, I want you to ask him, Holy Spirit, can you show me one way to invest in eternal things this week? And then I want to encourage you, do whatever it takes to do what he has put on your heart. Invest with the attitude that I may not see the return on my investment in this life, but I know that God is my rewarder and I put it in his hands. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that your word gives us hope. 
that it brings us life, that it refreshes our soul. And God, I pray that every single individual in this place, Lord, that we would have it on our hearts to to change our mindset from the here and now and to be able to look at the joy that is set before us, to be able to look at what is coming up ahead of us, Lord, that we aren't so... Uh, seemingly satisfied with things and possessions and stuff, God, but that we would begin to look to your presence. We would begin to look to your promises and say, I may not see it here, but God, I trust my life in your hands. I trust my resources in your hands. I put my faith in you that you will be my rewarder. And God, I pray that we would be the most giving, the most sacrificial, the most loving people that this planet has ever seen. Lord, that outsiders would be able to look at Calvary Tabernacle and say, wow, I don't know what it is, but they are generous and I want to be like that. God, I pray that that would be on our hearts, Lord, that we would just want to serve you so much that only you could receive the glory from it. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Once you love someone before you go.